birthday uh, wishes. I appreciate it. Yeah, today is my 30th birthday. It's kind of crazy. Can't believe it. It's awesome. Always look forward to the 30s, so it's not like a crisis, life crisis or anything, but it's just a great, great day. Uh, you know, earlier this week, I, was, I knew I was preaching on today, and I was thinking about, you know, what would I preach on? Would we continue in Acts? Um, you know, do something different, so on and so forth. And I was laying in bed one night, and uh, it hit me that I gave my first sermon when I was 20. My very first sermon, I was 20 years old, 10 years ago. And immediately I was like, oh, whoa, wow, 10 years already. Gosh, I remember it like it was yesterday, probably because I was so stressed out about the whole thing. Uh, but I wanted to, I was like, you know, what would be cool is to take that passage that I preached on 10 years ago, pull it out, look at it, and then reevaluate it. What's changed? What has uh, what's different now, 10 years removed? What have I learned about this passage that I would add to it or subtract from it? Um, so I was like, okay, well, Lord, I feel like I think you're in this. And so, praise the Lord, I found the sermon, for one. I couldn't believe I actually had it. And then it was so fun to look through my old notes because I was so much more organized and like way better outlines 10 years ago. Now I just kind of like, yeah, slap it all in there. I'll figure it out as I give it, you know, kind of thing. Um, but it was neat. It was super cool, and I really enjoyed it. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to revisit this sermon, and uh, I'm going to add to it and uh, kind of put what I've learned in the last 10 years into it, and uh, hopefully it will bless us. So uh, open your Bibles to James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. A familiar passage. It's one of my favorites. We'll also have it on the board behind me. And then if I can find it, ooh, here we go. All right, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26 says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Some main points from my sermon 10 years ago I made is the first one that there was, there was really no contradiction between James and Paul. Sometimes we think, ooh, faith and works. Doesn't Paul like spend most of Romans and Galatians saying, not works, faith? Kind of got into that. We're not going to get into that this, this morning. We don't have that time. But next week we will. We'll touch on it. 
Second point I made is that faith without action benefits no one. I love that. What good is it? What good is it? What good is it? Benefits no one. Third point I made is that actions complete faith. You'll notice this idea of completion pops up a number of times, twice at least in James. James chapter 1, you know, consider it all joy that uh, all trials, the joy, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance must have its effect so you may be mature and complete. Again, we find another completion aspect, another idea, kind of fascinating. Fourth one, though, and this is the point we're going to hit on. We're actually going to do one point this morning. So we could be done early. Eh, we'll see. Is your faith and actions working in harmony? Are they in harmony? Are they working together? Is they, are they in rhythm together, I think, is that first kind of question I have on your outlines. I love using that because you guys all know I'm learning the drums, learning lots about rhythm. I get to play on Wednesday nights with Nick. Thank you for your grace uh, to me. If you ever want to learn more about grace, learn a new instrument and play in a worship band. You'll get lots of grace from the other musicians because it's tough, but I appreciate it. I'm learning all about rhythm and trying to keep things in unison and the right synchrony, synchronous, whatever that word is. So today we're going to look at what may be causing this disharmony. I think we can all agree that maybe you've experienced, I've experienced, we've all experienced at times, maybe this disharmony between our faith and our actions. I believe in God. I love God. I'm trying to follow him, but I just seem to not always be acting in accordance with that faith or how I'm supposed to be acting according to God's word. And where is that disharmony uh, what's causing that? What's causing that conflict? Why is it not, you know, X equals Y, so to speak? Well, let's look at this. I think James has the clues to us in other parts of his book. So open up your Bibles again back to James, and we're going to look at a couple passages. I shouldn't have closed my Bible. What am I doing? James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. talks about temptation. It says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But listen to this, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. Let's pick it up in James chapter 4. Let's see what he says here. What causes, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Mm. That first point on your outline. Why does our faith and actions get out of rhythm? And I think the reason, as we kind of see from James, is desire and wisdom. That's your kind of your first point. I think there's something there. I think uh, this desire, this idea of desires, has been really important to me in the last kind of year. It keeps popping up. And what I'm reading and thinking about, I've already talked about it in Acts, talked about Paul and what caused Paul to, to preach the gospel in a city? And they dragged him out and they stoned him. And then what did he do? He got back up and he went back into the city. And I was like, yes, his faith was strong, absolutely. But he desired 
God. He desired what he was living for. He wanted it, right? Because just faith alone, oh yeah, I believe this is good. And I use the, the analogy, yeah, I think it's great that to learn the piano. piano. Piano is a beautiful instrument. I would love to. I believe it's good, but I don't have the desire to learn the piano, so I'm not going to do anything about that, right? On the other hand, I have the desire to learn the drums. It's been great. And therefore, now I am doing something about it because I think it's really neat, the drums. It'd be really cool to be able to play them well. Been hitting on this time and time again, our desires. And so let's talk about that. If we're going to talk about desire, you have to look at Augustine. Augustine is the man on desire. Really, most philosophers and theologians are on it, but Augustine said some truly profound things about desires that I think are going to be helpful to us, understanding our desires, and, and hopefully as we work through this sermon, um, really see what we can do about this. So let's look at this. Now, these aren't direct quotes from Augustine. This is actually my philosophy textbook. So this is the writer of the philosophy textbook paraphrasing and expanding on Augustine. So you'll see it as it comes up on here. But I want you to look at a couple quotes. Let's look at this first one. This is Augustine. This is his idea, okay? Sin clearly has something to do with the motivation for action, okay? Whatever we do, Augustine says, is done from a desire for something. Okay, we agree. Following? These desires, Augustine calls loves. We seek to delight in possessing the object of our love. If we think that wealth will make us happy, we love riches. And so we are moved by this love to acquire wealth. What are we doing? Make sense? Very simple. Agree? Disagree? Heresy. No, you know. I think, <laughs> I think he's on to something there. Can't you agree? Think about, think about what you have desired. I want you to fill in the blank, all right? And maybe write that down on your outline. What do you want or slash desire in life? What do you desire in life? Think about it for a second. Write it down. What do you desire in life? If that's a hard uh, a question, it's a big question, I'll help you out. I'll make it a little bit more specific. Look at this. Look at what you do. Uh, look at what you spend the most time thinking about. What are you constantly thinking about? You finally have time to just veg and daydream. What are you daydreaming about? What do you spend most of your actual time doing? What are your hobbies? All right. What do you actually spend a lot of time doing? What do you spend your money on? Guarantee it. You're probably going to spend money on things you desire. There's a good chance. There's some things we spend our money on. Bills. I don't desire bills, obviously. But what are you spending your extra money? You paid all your bills. I got this extra little pile of cash. What are you spending that money on? What do you give your energy towards? Done all my tasks. Done everything. Now I have a little bit of extra time. I have vacation. What am I going to spend my energy on? That will help you. What do you desire in life? This is an important question for Augustine. He asks it to everybody. We have to be able to reflect on this. We have to be able to internalize and see what do we desire. Because again, as James expresses and as Augustine, sin clearly has to do with these warring desires inside of us and relating it back to our passage of faith and action. 
You believe in God, but you don't desire God. You don't desire to do his will. You don't desire his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you don't desire the kind of life that he is expressing and trying to guide you, and you don't desire his wisdom, you don't desire his lordship, then every step of the way you're going to have disharmony between what I need to be doing as a follower of Christ and what I proclaim I believe in. Easy to talk about giving, easy to talk about money. If I desire to be wealthy, I desire money. Obviously the Bible, again, I made note of this a few weeks ago, New Testament doesn't have lay out the 10% rule. That's Old Testament. I'll tell you what the New Testament holds out in Acts. What did I say? People sold all their possessions. They sold their house. They sold all their fields. If we want a, a rule, a standard... That's the closest thing we get to in the, in the New Testament. Right? And again, for Luke, that's his thing. That's his thing. Put your money where your mouth is. You desire God's kingdom. You desire what he's about. Put your money where your mouth is. That's what he's expressing. That's what he's showing in Acts. And, and that's an easy one for us in our society, right? To be like, okay, yeah, I do believe in God. Ooh, yeah, there's maybe some disharmony there. That's tough. And believe me, I'm not trying to beat anybody over the head. I know it's always a little bit interesting talking about money. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm trying to encourage you in your faith, though. If you have a desire for that, that's a stronghold. And that thing will always create disharmony between your faith and your actions. It's simply because, yeah, I'm just desiring this. More than I'm desiring God. More than I'm desiring His will. Look at this, another passage, or another uh, a quote, again, kind of expanding on Augustine's theology here about desire. To desire something is not just to have a tendency to acquire it. It's not just to have a tendency to acquire it. To desire is to consent to that tendency, to give in to it, to say yes to it, in short, to will it. Can we have a tendency towards God? Is that the same thing as desiring God? Do we sometimes find ourselves, yeah, I have a tendency towards God. I have a tendency to, to, to follow him, to do his will. I have a tendency, but that's not the same as desire for Augustine. Desire is willing it. It's making it happen. It is consenting. It is saying, yes, I am doing this. I am all in, baby. Here's a great example of this. Parable of the rich young man. Not necessarily a parable of the rich young man, excuse me. Jesus' interaction with the rich young man. You'll recall, this rich young man comes to Jesus saying, Jesus, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, well, you know, keep the commandments. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not covet. He's like, I've done that ever since I was a little kid. What else do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And what does Jesus say to him? Sell all you have and give to the poor and then follow me. And what did the rich young man do? Turned away sad. Jesus again, some people read that and be like, oh man, I gotta sell all the things. Not necessarily. No, no, no. What Jesus is hitting on is this, what he sees in this rich young man is a desire for wealth, a desire that supersedes his desire to follow Jesus. 
So Jesus is cutting him right to the core, right to the heart, right to the heart of who he is, right to the heart of his life. And he's saying, that cannot be wealth. That has to be me. So you have to sell that. You have to get rid of that. And he couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. How sad. What a tragedy of tragedies. Let us not be that way. Let's further this. Another last kind of quote. Sin, we can now say, is disordered love. This is Augustine, one of his big things. So beautiful. A lot of this comes from his Confessions, a book called The Confessions. It's one of the, again, uh, as I heard one guy say, uh, 1,500 years since his book was written, and he still has haters. That's impressive, all right? You know, that means he said something, and it's got people talking and engaging with it and stuff. 1,500 years later, it's a powerful, powerful book. I, I, it is fantastic. But he hits on this. Sin, we can now say, is disordered love. Again, what we desire, he calls loves. So he's saying disordered desires, essentially. It is loving things or desiring certain things inappropriately. Loving more what is of lower value and loving less of what is higher or of highest value. Again, pretty simple, pretty straightforward. We see what he's doing there. Again, the rich young man. He desired his wealth above following Jesus. He desired his wealth above following Jesus. He did not put first things first. Did not have the right priority list. He did not desire Jesus above it all. If our loves, once again, I'm going to hit this thing home real tough. If our loves are out of order, if you desire slash want certain things in life more than God, more than partnering in God's purposes and plans for the church, for the world, then you will always find a disparage or a disunity between your faith and your actions. And more than likely, it'll be right there. Right there. I desire my emotional health above doing God's will. And then when God calls you to do something really emotionally tough, I'm not going to be there. Right? 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 I, hey, I'm, I'm just as, you know, adverse to it too. Right? It's going to be a hard one, looking at our desires. I want to make this point. This one came to me late in the week, and so I feel like if it always comes late in the week, I'm always like, it has to be in there, because the Lord is like, hey, great job working on the sermon all week. Now let's, let's add this. <laughs> let's finish it off well. Do you believe that God desires you to be happy? Do you, do you believe that? Do you believe that? What's the definition of happiness? Excellent question, Brent. Absolutely. Philosophers, theologians have been debating this since before Jesus. Some would say happiness is an emotion, right? It's a feeling. You feel happy. Some would say happiness is a life well lived, living true, doing good. What does good mean, right? It's a lot of debate. This is fantastic. You think God... Uh, think of it this way, what Augustine was really combating or looking at, and he was coming off of the philosophers that were discussing that, really basic to our core is that we desire to be happy. And yes, lots of different definitions of what that looks like. To the core of us humans, we desire to be happy. And I think we can all agree, something deep down inside of us, 
wants to be happy. We want to be happy. We want to either, whether it's an emotion or just a feeling of a fulfilled life and a good life and living true, we desire something along those lines, all of us. Therefore, our desires are what we believe will get us there. We have decided, oh, this will help me get to that. Either it's an emotion or a fulfilled life or a good life. This will get me there. That's where Augustine is coming in. That's where he's saying why our desires are constantly, we go after. We don't tend to desire something that we believe will truly harm us. True? Right? We do desire certain things that we believe will be good for us, even though we don't realize that maybe they're actually going to be bad for us. Right? Right? Interesting. Here's the thing. Here's what I love, and this is what came late in the week. Reminded of what Jesus said. He who would seek to save their life will lose it. He or they who seek to lose their life for my sake will find it. What Jesus is saying in his wisdom, great, great wisdom, he's saying, trust me. Trust me, I know what's best for you. I know what's best for you. I know what's best for you. He's a good father. And like good fathers, they look at their kids and they're like, I know what's best for you. Trust me. Trust me, don't do that. Trust me. Right? And as a son, it's been like, that's hard pill to swallow sometimes. Because that looks real good. And that's real hard. Because it's like, I really want that. That looks really good. Mom and dad say, no, don't do that. And they're saying, yes, do this. Yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to put rock patio. I don't want to do the rock patio. One of the worst things in my life. <laughs> I blame Brady and Hannah. They were getting married, and we had to get it done before their wedding, so I really blame them. But no, me and my dad spent a whole week on the second time. Lance was the first one. I had to do the second one. That was brutal. Brutal. Oh, my gosh. I hate it. Oh, but there was goodness in it. There was goodness in it. It was a blessing. It was good. But there are things, boy, we just, oh, we just don't want. And Jesus is just saying, trust me. Trust me. Oh, man, I think of Matthew chapter 6. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's where you're struggling. If that's where, well, what am I supposed to desire then, Grant? What am I supposed to desire? Desire that. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. First and foremost. And trust Jesus that if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then he who would seek to lose their life for my sake will find it. There's some wisdom there. And that's why I could put wisdom into that second. Desire and wisdom. Because for Augustine, wisdom is so important. It's so important because wisdom, as you're relating with God, as you're really, wisdom just a big word for saying uh, trust God's word, honestly. Um, that's probably oversimplification, so I don't want to ever put words in Augustine's mouth. But wisdom is, is just uh, uh, seeking the truth. And we believe the, the Bible is God's truth. So that's why I say it that way. But he is saying, boy, we need God's wisdom because we need to know what to desire. That's really what Augustine says. That's where wisdom comes in. What do we desire then? We desire wrong things, and that leads us to sin. Then what do we desire? And I think we can fill in the blank with God's word, with Jesus. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. 
lose your life for Jesus' sake, and then find it and pick it back up. That is what Jesus is saying. That is what he is calling you out to by faith to trust him. Faith in action. Faith. Trust him that this is the best for you. Even when it doesn't feel like it. Even when it doesn't look like it's paying out for me. Trust him. All those sucky things, excuse me, all those really hard things I did in the first 30 years of my life did not look like they would benefit me in any way, but praise the Lord. For parents that were going to tell me, you're going to do it anyway, so whatever, you know. (laughs) Praise the Lord, because now as a 30-year-old, you know what, I can do some stuff. I can handle some stuff. Thank you guys. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to. But man, it's blessing me. It has blessed me. I can handle some stuff now. I can do some stuff now. I feel confident in my relationship with the Lord, confident in who He's made me to be. Maybe I can actually do some stuff. And I'm grateful. And Jesus is saying that. Boy, we think we're gonna, life is just going to be a drab or God doesn't have your happiness or, or your, your best in mind. And He's just kind of this uh, a very removed CEO that is just kind of like, do this, do this. You know, and you're like so far down the food chain that you don't even see the big picture. No, Jesus calls us friends. He's saying friends know their master's business, right? Servants don't know their master's business, but you are friends. You know my business. Jesus says, you know exactly what we're doing together. This is it. I'll lay it out. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And I'll tell you what, it'll be the best thing you ever do in your life. And it will be the best for you down the road. Through and through. Do we trust Him? Do we trust Him? Do we walk by faith? Or are we still a little bit... So that's really the final question. Where's our faith at this morning? Where's our faith at? Seriously, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that this week. We've been asking that a lot in our college group, college young adults. It just keeps coming back up, and I think it's such a great question. Where is your faith? Where is your faith, really? And are you talking about it? If it's maybe a little bit strained, are you talking about it? Are you fearful to bring it up? Are you fearful to bring up some seriously hard questions? Please, the truth fears no scrutiny, right? God's Word, myself, my dad, others, I'm not afraid of any questions. Bring them. I love hard questions. They make me have to go like, oh, I got to think about that. I got to do some research. That's a really good one. Hmm, I got to do some wrestling. I love that. That's super fun. My dad do the same. I love that. Where's your faith at this morning? Is it kind of stalled out? Kind of been in the same place for 10 years? Has it? Time to grow. Time to rock and roll. Time to step into some new things. Step out in faith. Right? Mm. I named this message birthday cake because it's my birthday. But also because I love, I'm a sucker for uh, like old little pithy sayings. Pithy sayings, I think, is the right adjective. And I love the saying, you can't have your cake and eat it too. I love that. I love that. You can't can't profess faith in God and desire uh, other things above God. Just trying to have your cake and eat it too. You just can't. 
And, and I think sometimes, you know, I hear, I hear laments all the time of, you know, uh, I'm really struggling with my faith. I'm just not feeling God. I'm not experiencing the Lord in my life. And, and I just came, ran into it in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. Can't remember the exact verse. It's after the discipline of the Son. But it talks about without holiness, you cannot see the Lord. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus in the Beatitudes, blessed are those of the pure of heart, for they will see God. And that's my encouragement to you. Yeah, it's going to be hard to see God if you don't desire Him above everything else. You can't see past your loves. You really can't. It's very difficult. If you love wealth, it's hard to see past it. If you love this thing, whatever it may be, it's hard to see around it. It takes up the whole screen of your life. It's taking up all of your imagination, all your, your, your cognitive thinking, daydreaming time. It's taking up your, your literal time on this earth. It's taking up money. It's taking up energy. It's taking up emotional energy. It's taking up all those things. It's hard to get around it. It's hard to see God and the truth of God's Word in your life, working out in your life, when all you're focused on is the stuff over here. It's hard to see. And we'd love to, and I know again, we'd love to say, well, well God's bigger and God will, will work it out. I, I, I think that's a dangerous line. Yes, God's grace. God is so graceful and God is so merciful. Please don't mishear me. But I think it's very dangerous to try to eat your cake and have want to eat your cake and have it too. Of saying, yeah, I can desire sin and I can desire all this other stuff, and God's gonna be cool. You know, He'll reveal Himself to me. You know, that sounds a lot like God's on your terms, you're not on God's terms, and I don't think that's very wise. I really don't. So I encourage you, desire Him. Put Him back in the first slot. Augustine says, boy, we are restless until we find. Man, now I can't think of it. We're restless until we find our home in God. Something like that. But essentially, we have to put God first. We have to look at our desires. We have to look at them difficult, hard, be real honest with ourselves. What do we desire in life? What do we desire? And do we desire it more than God? Do we desire it more than His kingdom and His righteousness in our life? And we have to do some hard, some hard praying. And here's the, gosh, here's the real point. You may again be, oh gosh, where do I begin? How do I even come to this? Really, the conclusion is this, and this is what Augustine came to. It's God's grace that your desires will change. It's God's grace that your loves will change. Because God will do it in you. But, and, so I put, it's all God's grace, and it's some of you. I know that doesn't make sense, but that's how like, every theologian likes to talk about this kind of subject. It's all God, and some of you. Yeah. Is it God? Is it you? Yes. Here's how it plays out. It is all God's grace. And Augustine said, has always been consistent on that. It is God who changed me. Augustine was a terrible sinner. Terrible sinner, maybe the wrong phrase. He was very much steeped in sin. He realized that. He struggled mightily with sin before he came to Christ. But he also recognized that it was still a choice. I still have a choice in the matter. I still have a will, a free will, to decide, will I choose the Lord and follow Him, or will I not? And so he said, God, command what thy will, and will that thy command. Oh man, it's kind of an interesting, interesting phrase. He holds up as Philippians, as Paul will hold up in Philippians, work out your faith with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act. It's both. You have the ability to choose to follow God. You have the ability to choose it. 
as God renews and works in it to help you to choose. Will you choose it? God has set you free to choose. To make that choice. Will you follow Him? Will you not? God is working in you to will and to act. Will you choose to follow Him? Or will you not? It's a long road. Augustine, it seemed he struggled with certain things for his entire life. But he always kept consistent, praying to the Lord to change, to help, and he accepted God's grace and mercy. So I hope you hear God's grace and mercy as we struggle through this. Because these desires are real, and they are ingrained, and they are deep inside of us. And God knows that. And he is merciful to you. And he is graceful to you. Praise the Lord. Amen. He accepts you as you are. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you. But let us also recognize that first things need to come first. And I need to choose the best of my ability to choose to put that each and every day, to put the Lord above all these other things I'm desiring. And to pray earnestly each and every day for God to work this in me. To do this great work inside of me. To give me a new heart as David prayed for in Psalm 51. We need that. It's both. It's a mystery. It's a paradox. But it's both. I encourage you in it. I'm going to talk more about this next week. So I'm sure I left certain things out. And I'll come back to it next week because there's more to be said. But this is an exciting passage as we continue to want our actions and our faith to line up. Look at that desire. Look at what you're desiring. Are they in line? And seek God's wisdom, amen, to what to desire. Trust Him. Trust Him. He knows what's best. Trust Him. He knows what's best for you. Amen. You'll stand with me. We will close in prayer.